This is the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 56, and today I'm chatting with Jason Anik. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. Uh, you may have noticed I haven't been putting as many episodes out in the last couple of months. I've just been super busy trying to get on with being a musician. So yeah, thanks for holding out, waiting, and uh, I'm really excited to bring you this one today. Uh, but before uh, we go into that, I'd just like to remind you that if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so via Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, if you, well, you must know what it is by now because I say it all the time. But if you don't know what it is, it's a place that you, the listener, can support me, the content creator, um, with as little as one pound or one dollar or one euro a month. You know, as much as it takes, as much money as it costs to buy a cup of coffee, I guess. Probably not, to be honest, depending on where you live. It's also a place that you can uh, get involved in my teaching, my online teaching. I have a weekly group class that I run where we just we get together and we drill different um, jazz violin exercises that I've come up with. It's all on Zoom and it's just all repetitive things that I think can help us as jazz violinists get to grips with the language of jazz. Anyway, enough about that. We're going to talk about my guest. Um, I've spoken to Jason before in the past, and I was just really excited to get the chance to speak to him again. Jason is an amazing violinist based in the US. He teaches at Berklee College of Music, he teaches jazz violin there. Um, he's a really versatile musician. He does a lot of different things. He does them all very, very well. He's, he's, such, he's just one of these musicians one of these people that you know, always know that everything he does is going to be up to a really really high standard and it's always going to be very exciting to listen to as well his playing is very very exciting and it has so many different um just colors in it that a lot of people don't get a lot of jazz violinists do not get those colors that jason Anik gets out of the instrument so in this episode i asked jason to tell me his favorite recording or his favorite jazz violin recording and yeah he picked a really really interesting one that i was not expecting but i can completely understand why he went for it but if you want to know what that is you're going to have to listen to the end so without further ado give it up for jason Anik. so how are you doing man you've 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 had a big change right you've You've got a baby now. Yeah, yeah, 19 months, 19 months. Um, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, balancing that and teaching at Berkeley still, do that two days a week. And uh, Rhythm Future Quartet starting to pick back up. Um, nice. Uh, Henry Acker is playing with us now. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just recorded last week which was fun. I recorded a new album. I haven't put out a, uh, a new album under my own name for a while. So recorded uh, last Thursday. Wait, with the rhythm? No, no, this is the, I've seen this online, the Oscar Peterson thing. 
Oscar Pearson and Grappelli. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. It'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. I oh, just nice, right dude. before this got um, like uh, all the takes to try to pick takes. Right. Yeah. So we're have to do that. So it's cool to listen back and yeah, I'm excited. Is it always to, for me when I, I do a recording? Out. It's always like the take will it'll always be like the first take the solos were the best and then the like second third take the head or whatever intricate thing that we had to play um yeah, yeah. is always the best and then it's like ah oh, now so which one do i pick do i pick the the one that's got the best solo which is obviously the one that you want to pick but then also do i pick or do you splice them you know i don't want to maybe just, it depends on how how tight you know that you don't play with a click the rhythm sections got to be super tight so that that's really hard to do but sometimes you can do little sections you know oh yeah uh, but but yeah when you when you're doing the live for me it's just the vibe like the vibe has to be right does it have that it factor right where everyone you could tell is just riding that wavelength it feels good um it, it seems like actually in this case the the last like let's say we did three four takes of everything like seems like the last take or the second to last were the best for for in this case so it might be a little easier to to choose in that case because if it's like the first has got something this third's got this the second yeah yeah it seems like we kind of hit our stride on the the last couple takes on each time nice what's the idea what's the idea behind the whole thing so it's the jack it's sorry the uh grappelli and uh oscar peterson Recordings. Yeah, so so uh, this pianist uh, Matt D. Champlain, I've I went to uh, Hart Conservatory with. Okay. The same year, so I've known him for years. Uh, he featured on him on a couple tracks on my album Tipping Point. We've we've gigged a lot over the years, and we thought it would be fun to kind of go in on like a go in together on a a co tribute album. Nice. And, Match kind of match a little bit of the vibe that they recorded together, you know, the Piercing Grappelli, you know, those albums, and but just wanted to make a, an album that swung really, really hard, and that's that's why like the 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 rhythm player we got, Matt Munisteri is one of the best of like the American kind of traditional swing, probably in the U.S. Really, honestly, he's one of the best. Lives in lives in New York. I think so that about, name rings a bell, and if I was to see his face, maybe I'd be like, "Oh, that guy! I've seen him in videos yeah, yeah, and blah he, blah blah." He plays around. He definitely is busy. We were lucky to get him. Nice. So yeah, just an album that swings super hard. Um, nice. Not that I haven't recorded swing before, but I a lot of my albums, I've intentionally kind of had the like a, every song's a different type of rhythm. Every song goes different places and that's always kind of been something i've wanted to do and i think partly because it, it took until now where i felt like yeah i think i can make a good album that just swings and feel like yeah there's something there right hmm. years ago i'd be like eh, okay yeah i could do that i could easily go in a studio and record a swing album but it, it would be fine but i, I, I think i've been working on it a lot lately and perfecting my swing feel and trying to get happier with my solos and a lot more just trying to con- be a lot more concise and 
more musical and lyrical in my souls over the past couple of years and really honing in on that constantly just practicing with just drums recording myself um, all the time and yeah you know I think when we're younger we want to play a lot and we want to show a lot but now I'm like I just want to be always in the pocket and always musical right the, the kind of souls I love are ones that you can sing along with which means that's that's a lyrical solo there's no bs in there so honing in on that and actually being happy with it it took years um that's probably why i have never done just a straight straight swing across the board album yeah it's interesting i think sometimes as well we we sort of want to i know i don't know where i got this idea but i always felt like the music that i put out always has to be something new rather than something that you know has been done before at all. I I don't quite know where I got that feeling from, probably from loads of different places, but I know exactly what you mean is where you're like, hey, you know, I listen to swing all the time. It's literally the thing that makes me the happiest and I love this yeah, music. especially the Oscar Pearson trio. Yeah. I, mean, I listen to that those records all the time for yeah. so many different occasions yeah it's like why not make a record that has that same feeling for other people where they just throw it on and it makes them feel good and yeah it just has that pocket that swing mm-hmm. pocket like they have where it's just the entire time feels good it feels it swings dude the stan gets like, one do you, you know that one stan mm, gets and that is exactly. literally just like that right it feels so good and and their solos are so interesting so lyrical they're not trying to prove anything they're just enjoying um, just riding the, the way the rhythm section's amazing feel and just having a good time. That's exactly what we were trying to capture. And I, I nice. feel like we, we um, at least in our own way. Great. Somewhat achieved that. <laughs> yeah. That Stan Getz oh. album, it, sorry, we're talking over each other because of probably because of latency. But um, yeah, that Stan Getz album is, it, every time I listen to it, I'm always just like, why do I play the violin? Why don't? Why did I not learn to play one of the instruments on this album? Because it's just you just want to be in that band so much when you hear it. I don't know if that's if you get that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've always loved horn players and the way they phrase, and there's so much to take away from that. But at the end of the day, I I still love the voice of the violin and sure. um, all that's possible with it, but. I do get a little horn player envy when I hear it, of course, especially someone like Stan Getz or yeah. some of my other favorites like Cannonball Adderley or Hank Mobley. Uh, Hank Mobley is really mm. one of my all-time favorites as far as um, his his style and his phrasing and lyricism, motifs, space. and He's, he's one of those players, too, that you can just sing every solo. Mm, Soul agree. Station, that album. Mm. That's yeah. Good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, we're talking okay. about violin. Enough of this saxophone. Uh, yeah, this is the thing. The problem is, is when I'm teaching people, I, I I find it very hard to not go straight into teaching, like telling people to just check out non-violin. I know it's, it is an absolute classic trope. I mean, this podcast is filled with people saying... Uh, yeah, I just checked out horn players, and we all did it. But I, uh, I sometimes sort of feel bad for violinists when they start when they when they've never had a lesson in jazz, and they come to me, and I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry, but 
all I'm going to do is tell you to, <laughs> is to check out, like, start and get, you know, check out these horn players. And we're not really going to talk too much about the violin to start with because at the end of the day, mm. jazz, it, it really is a, it's, it's a horn player's world. I was talking to my wife about this just last night and she was, I can't remember what it was. I think she said something like, hey, maybe things are going to change. Maybe, I can't remember why she said that, but maybe the violin will, like, be, uh, will be just as uh, important in the world of jazz as, as, as sax, sax is. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough now to work out. It's never going to happen. Because it's just like, you're never, you're never going to listen back to the, to the classic recordings and, and hear a violinist on those recordings because they weren't there. There was no violinist on those classical record, classic recordings. So there are some great recordings. I'm not saying that there aren't, but there are never, we're never going to be able to change history. We're always going to go back to, the, to that Stan Getz album and hear zero percent violin. We're, you know, so we will never be as, uh, you know, as as high up in the pecking order. Not that it should be spoken about like a competition, but we'll never be as high up in the pecking order as a sex person. We just have to accept that right we we have oh, to yeah. I, yeah. I accepted it years ago and i actually <laughs> thrived with it because yeah. then you're not you're not you know just behind 30 horn players playing cherokee you're 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 like one of the only violinists who can do it around and that i don't know that that you can you can see it both ways right on one regard yeah you have to kind of pave your own path but i always like that yeah in fact that was one of the things early on was hearing horn players and saying, I don't hear a lot of violinists doing this type of phrasing like a horn player. Um, and that excited me, you know, there's, there's still some room to grow. Do I think it will be up there with like, you'll, you'll mention, um, well, actually this is interesting. So I was listening to a history of jazz podcast and just to get different people's perspective of like, what do they think is valuable? And they mentioned it was, uh, I think it was, um, oh, was it Cecil Taylor? It's just, I think, a really interesting one. He mentioned Stuff Smith on, he's in like this 30 minute history of jazz. I thought that was really cool. That's great. I thought that yeah. was really cool. Like he was listing off, like whether it was the horn of Coltrane or this voice of Ella Fitzgerald or the violin playing of Stuff Smith. You know, it's like, amazing. That's great. Um, and I also I also teach a class at Berkeley where I, I I basically show that string players have been there along the way, um, but we also talk about why it, there was some a bit why it wasn't as prominent whether it's volume practicality certain aspects of it or the work you know people got if they had the chops they got work doing classical so. Um, it's fat it's a fascinating topic absolutely it's it's really interesting i think it's climbing up the ladders i think less and less you'll have people saying what is jazz violin which is a funny question to ask but people have asked me that what is jazz violin i was like well it's jazz music on the violin it, it you already answered your question by saying what is jazz violin you put them together that's it yeah. but just the fact that no one ever would ask what's a jazz trumpet like you wouldn't ask that ever so mm. those types of questions are are diminishing and i think uh, a lot of you know i'm getting i'm hearing a lot of young string players who said yeah my my jazz band in high school let me play with them or 
Um, they, you know, had the, this big band wrote up parts for violin. So it's, it's definitely on the rise, but it will always be a horn player dominated world. Yeah. That's okay. We can, we can have our niche and it's always exciting when you hear people coming up doing unique stuff on the violin in the jazz world and see what's possible. There's still paths to pave. Yes. You know, I think that we also sort of semi like it. Like we wouldn't like deep down, we sort of like that we're like, un, what would you, how would you describe it? We're, we are a niche within a niche. We're probably the type of people that, you know, don't, didn't want to go down the, the, the well-trodden path. You know, we see everyone going down that path. We're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. I think that's me a hundred percent when I was a teenager, definitely. So. I think that that's the thing. Um, hey, what's one of the funniest things anyone's ever said to you about about that about jazz violin? Like the, off the top of your head, can you think of anything when someone it doesn't have to be funny, I guess, but what's one of the most outlandish things someone's ever said to you about that sort of around okay. the topic of not understanding what jazz violin is? Well, I mean, I did play a, a private event once, and somebody asked me how long I've been playing banjo. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> I just went with it too. That's hilarious. I mean, and that's like a whole nother level. That's a whole nother level. I mean, I, the the I, when I was in high school, the the jazz band director uh, said, like, it was like, well, what will you do on the violin? Like, we don't have a spot for you. And I said, well, can you hear me solo? Like, let me solo. And maybe I could kind of fit in with the horn section, or um, I could be a guest soloist on something. I was like, I really want to be involved, and so I, he was kind of hesitant. So that was that was not that 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 wasn't like a funny thing, but it was just interesting that I, I had some roadblocks early on and had to kind of like prove you can you can do it. So, but yeah, wh- how long have you been playing banjo? Is pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, and the amount of times, you know, at a private event where you just played a song and then somebody comes up and is like, oh, that reminds me of Autumn Leaves. Uh, you guys ever play that? It's like, you of course just played it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just like, private event jokes keep just go on and on and on. Um, I'm trying to think what else has happened. I don't know. I've, I haven't had... A ton of like really, uh, you know, it's, it's, I haven't had a ton of situations lately. I, f- I feel like, at least in the orbits I find myself in, like I just did a session in New York and it was, well, I was like part of a big band and it was really great. Like there was a flute next to me and then there's a couple clarinets and I was sitting in being one of the voices on that and then I was a soloist as well. So, and no one was like, huh, how are you going to fit in? You know, it's, it's a texture and I think people uh, equate it as something that you can definitely throw into the mix and it can be used. And this, of course, in New York, Boston, I mean, there's just a lot of great jazz violinists now that are on the scene and, and in different circles. So maybe a show in, uh, you know, Kansas, it'd be different. But although I have played out there and people, people liked it, they like fiddle, like they like fiddling. So, they, they, they enjoy it. I mean, a lot of people are always surprised when 
they hear improvisation on the violin. They're used to either classical or like a fiddle player. So I have had a lot of people at shows in certain parts of the country. It's like, I've just never heard anyone really improvise on the violin. And I was like, darn straight. <laughs> That's why I do it. It's, yeah, yeah. It's unique. I don't think, I think you're right. There's not, there's not a point now. We're not at a point now where musicians, you're going to turn up to like a, a room full of musicians and, and, and most of them, you're not going to get many of them being like, what? You know, jazz musicians, they've, they all have seen enough. Like you said, that because there is more people doing it, we have the internet now, we can see it more often. Um, yeah, we, we're not going to have that shock from, from, uh, from other musicians. I guess it's generally from the general, from the general public. Although I do remember when I first started playing, going to a jam session in Edinburgh, because I grew up in Edinburgh, and uh, the guy who, run, who ran the jazz bar there uh, at the time, uh, he's actually sadly passed away, but he's a lovely dude. Uh, and I, I got on with him really well. But the first thing he ever said to me when I went to the jam session was, uh, you know that the folk club's down the road, mate. And like, I remember, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you can't hear me through my that Scottish accent. He said the folk club's down the road. No, uh, oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, he was. I think he was joking, but, you know, I was like maybe 17. So I was a bit like, oh, okay. I know, but I've come here. I know one tune, <laughs> you know. Um, but I don't, I don't think you get it as much anymore. I think you might still get those jokes, but I think we get jokes. Probably a bit like viola players get jokes in the classical world. I reckon jazz violinists will always get some, we'll always get jokes. Uh, people taking the mick out of us. Yeah. But I think it's just more like, yeah, the, the general public. I think still it'll be it'll be a while before and and general I think my my main point actually so I'm going on a bit of a ramble here, um, but my main point was really that it's even if they're even if people aren't like hey what is jazz violin like you're you know you're local and it's Zach Brock said this to, said this on the, his episode a long time ago, he was like, you know even though everyone knows jazz violin exists, they're not gonna you're not gonna get booked as much as a sax player if you because if your thing is if you're like oh i play bebop violin or whatever your main thing is that or you know you play swing violin or you know say you're you're you want you made your whole thing about playing like stan gets yeah. or whatever you're not going to get booked instead of, you're not you're not going to get booked instead of a sax player most of the time sometimes you will but in general because jazz it is you know it, you're 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 going to hear sax more people associate well people just want to want to do what's being done a lot of the time not in a bad way but they want to you know we can't get away from that fact so like you said jazz violinists have to they really have to be more industrious and have to make these things happen themselves and i think that if you sit there and um if you sit there as a jazz violinist expecting to be to be uh to be uh, booked instead of a Stan Getz style saxophone player, you're going to sit home and you feel sad for a long time. But if you just go and start your own thing, which is, you know, you start your own thing where you are a Stan Getz style saxophone player on the violin, whatever, with the Oscar Peterson trio style trio, whatever, then you will work just as much as anybody else, maybe more, because, because, you, because you are sort of, more, a bit more unique. No one can really, no one really hears you that. Put a like little you more said. groundwork. So like you said, sure, yeah. but it can stand out. Yeah. If you exactly. do a Django band, like a Django Reinhardt style band, you know, do the Django Grappelli thing, you'll have more opportunities than a saxophone player in that setting. 
Uh, and that and that style is definitely picking up. A lot of people want that, whether it's private events, they want that vintage sound, or um, people really resonated with it at concerts. You know, people who kind of teeter on being a jazz fan, they they get on board with it. Something um, palatable about it. But but you know, the harder thing is in kind of the contemporary jazz world that it's it definitely definitely can be tricky but what doesn't stop me from from trying I'm, I'm working on a mm. new album after this one so i just did the the grappelli oscar pearson tribute one obviously that's going to be a little more old school vibe and then get that fix uh out of my system and then um doing like a really modern jazz one with uh, trumpet piano drums bass all original that's coming up in the spring late spring nice i would love to hear that because i've heard all, all your other your your you know your past albums and really enjoyed them really nice a nice approach you got a nice melodic approach to writing i think so yeah that's yeah, i'm excited to hear it hmm. yeah i've also had a little a little uh i've got a little release coming up myself completely original stuff which i'm really when excited about out? yeah i think well i'm just putting out a little single to begin with i'm doing it all myself but um i'm putting out a little single this month and then i'm thinking of bringing it out in a couple more months maybe for the spring early summer sort of thing i still haven't fully sorted that out yet but yeah i'm I'm really happy with the music it's taken me ages to get everything together and you know you know what it's like yeah you recorded it and it's probably been about a year since i recorded it but it's just been piecing it all together and redoing bits and doing videos and then mm -hmm. blah 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 so yeah doing all that mm -hmm. certainly mm -hmm. doing the the old school way is makes it easier like we did 10 songs one day videoed it the whole thing bam so it's just gonna get mixed so that's mm -hmm. easier at but I've also done records um, more layered piecewise where it's like I'm overdubbing three mandolins mm. and then an octave mandolin. <laughs> and I do like the, all the string parts and I've done those as well. And that, that's definitely tedious. And then once you say, well, I can do this a million times and make it perfect. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then you have to do it a million times. And yeah, so yeah. that can be that can be tricky. I did. I did enjoy this the old school recording just that we just were just in one room in a circle um, gives you that feeling of the, being a, an old old school jazz musician where they would bang out a few albums in a day <laughs> yeah yeah in, yeah in one week did had to do like or maybe not even did he probably even take the full week to do um, three or four albums that he was contractually obligated to do yeah which ones like, were they? Do you remember? Is it like working and, and uh, all those? Yeah. There's like a whole there's a theme with them. He he had to together the contract. He had like um, bang out yeah. like three or four records, and they did it in a day or two, and they're amazing, yeah. right? And I so like it's like you you capture something amazing with that, and that there's something about that, right? But then there's also the it's also exciting to get in a studio and layer things and experiment with different textures and do a more studio album as well. 
Yeah, well, actually, this thing that I'm talking about, we did it in one oh, as well, but we did it in a couple. We did it in a couple of a couple of takes, a couple of days over like a couple of like over three or four months. Because then I was like, "Shit, I need more music. This isn't finished. It needs this as well." And then I got some strings involved and was like, "Well, I should video it as well." And then blah blah blah. I don't know. It also just took me ages to get everything together for in terms of like the um, the artwork and all that stuff. Mm. But yeah, anyway, um, I'm a uh, I'm really excited about it because I'm really happy with the music. Yeah, that's, um, that's but yeah, I, I like that idea that you have of like, you know, you've got to get that out. <laughs> we thought, you, you, right, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm going to record this and then I'm just going to move on to something else. And that's, I'm quite like that, to be honest. I'm very, very, very much, I like, I I think, yeah. You didn't so really do move, having those eclectic you didn't tastes. Really do move on because you then use the CD to book shows. And, but yeah. um, it's been many, many years since I recorded and, so it, it's 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 it was definitely due for these these upcoming nice. projects. So it's it's nice and it great. It, it definitely targets your your practice, right? You really hone in on specific songs, specific changes, specific melodies, mm. which have specific technical requirements. And when you get to a certain stage, um, it's not like I don't practice scales and that kind of stuff, but um, often I'm just kind of diving right into what I need to do um, for a, a given project. And so if you don't have a, a, a goal, like there's no like, I don't have a specific gig or this or that, it, it's, it can be a little all over the place with practicing. Although those days exactly can be fun to just practice two hours of Bach. <laughs> and I'm totally happy with those days as well. It's like, oh, I really don't have anything like super pending. You know, I got some stuff at the end of the month that the music's challenging, but don't need to work on that right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, it's nice yeah. that. Um, hey, so these episodes, these sort of call them, you could like returner episodes where I speak to people I've spoken to before. I, the idea behind them was initially to 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 ask you a very pointed pointed yeah. question, and for you to answer that. You know. I'll be honest with you, and to the listeners out there, it's just an excuse to talk to my favorite guests yeah. again, really. Uh, people who I enjoyed listening to, and I think that other people have told me they enjoyed listening to, and people I enjoyed talking to. So um, really, that's that's why you're here. I just I just want to chat to you. But let's uh, let's let's go along with this pretense of... Uh, of uh, <laughs> and I do want to know the answer to this. So I asked you either about, you know, you, I want you to tell me about one of your favorite uh, jazz violin solos or one of your t favorite jazz violin albums or give us one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is um you know who's who's starting out as a jazz violinist and, and wants to know wants to know the, a good path yeah go yeah that's that's a hard prompt especially if you have to cap it at one <laughs> it's quite an open yeah prompt, yeah it? it's quite a lot. so i will I will do the uh, the violin album. Yes. Uh, okay. And that's a tricky one. So picking one specific jazz violin album. Doesn't have to be the best one ever, just one that, one that sticks yeah, out to yeah. you. Yeah, so I was thinking about it. Um, and I'm, I think I'm honing in on one of the most important ones in my formative years. And it also coincides with... Um, one of my mentors early on who was Christian house. And there is a album, a 
very kind of lo-fi album of uh, called Jazz Fiddle Revolution. Have you heard this? I think yeah. I have, yeah. I think I can picture the, the album the cover. Right? They, they made it early 2000s. It, it was um, Christian House and Billy Contreras, who at yeah. that time, like right after they made that album, I was spending a lot of time with them. And so a lot of what I was learning and all the things I was digging into, uh, spending time with Chris, I was learning so much from like listening to that album as well. Cause it's, you could just, you just picture yourself being in the room with those two and what they're doing to kind of push the violin into a, 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 a jazz instrument that really plays changes and really explores a lot of harmonic complexity that I wasn't hearing as much in other players that I, I was digging into. And so I probably listened to that one at more than any jazz violin record ever, probably to this day, just was how much I listened to it that the first couple of years I had it almost exclusively. Um, not, I mean, I was listening to other stuff as, as well. I think there was a Charlie Parker's greatest hits around that same time that I obsessed over. Yeah. But yeah, the Jazz Fiddle Revolution. And again, it's this kind of lo-fi. They're just in a room, one mic. You could tell that they probably didn't do more than two takes, if anything, and a little rehearsing. And it's just raw. It's honest. And it just always brings... When I listen to it, it brings me back to being there, hanging out with them. Because I, I would spend a lot of summers with them at different camps. And jamming with them all through the night was definitely something i can uh, i can um point to as something that really shaped my playing and uh, opened up possibilities and showed me you know what yeah was possible on, on, as far as the har the harmonic um view of the instrument it, they, they both really just were pushing it so that one, I have, to, I have to choose that one. And it's really hard to, to choose any specific album. I could list a bunch. And we were talking earlier about how you always, well, I do too. We point, we point violinists to horn players, right? And I have my favorite horn players, like just like you. But I also do have a lot of, I, I, I have a playlist on Spotify that I share with some of my students. It's, I think, up to like, maybe, it's at least like 14 hours of jazz violin. So it's, you almost could almost a full day of jazz violin. Anyway, it's an ever-growing playlist that of cherry-picked um, album like tracks, my favorite tracks from different albums that I've discovered. But I had I have think I have to pick that one because a lot of people listening to this maybe they're trying to discover some new things and and they're in their formative years as well. And so I would I'll choose that. Sadly, it's a really hard album to find. It is not actually easy, easily accessible. There is a version I think somebody posted on YouTube, but the audio gets a little wonky halfway through. I don't think it's on Spotify, and I don't even know if it's in print. So <laughs> it kind of excites me even more that this album is so kind of underground. This, I'm sure there's ways to, to discover. You might have to like email Christian House directly and say, how do I get this Jazz Fiddle Revolution album? And he might have some copies laying around. 
Try to see if it's on Spotify. I really don't think it is. You you don't think it is. Last time I checked, because I like to, uh, I would have added some of the tracks to um, this playlist. And Mm. yeah, okay. I had the the physical album back in the day. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Because and and I like that it's um seems to be it's sort of based around like community. The fact that you that you. it, it speaks to you so much. It's as much about the 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 times that you spent with those guys as it is about the music. Not, I mean, it obviously, is about the music if it, because those guys are amazing and the music's going to be amazing. But it's interesting that it comes. It, a lot of it is, you know, that it just remind what it reminds you of is that sense of community with other amazing jazz violinists, right? Absolutely, and just the fact that they could do a full album that I find really interesting and engaging with two violins. Mm. Like just with some simple comping. Actually, I think they have a basis on maybe one or two tracks, but for the most part, it's, it's uh, just the two violins and I'm never missing other instruments. And that's something I really try to do. I love and have, have had this pursuit for years of being able to try to comp as a violinist even just to understand the role of comping and what does that mean and often i'll even do it in trio settings so understanding the role of the bassist and comping and the drummer and so they understand that and can create that texture with two violins and so i yeah they really do you're right you do a good job of that as well i've heard you play like i've heard you do comping as well i've definitely studied a lot and and whenever there's a setting that it, it calls for it it's great it's, it's awesome to be able to do duo shows and fill it out with with uh, with comping and you learn so much too about what does it mean to to be an accompanist and swing for an entire three four minutes behind somebody and create mm-hmm. an arc and a dynamics so when you can do that you yeah. learn oh okay this is what someone's doing behind my solo that's making me feel good and i think there's an appreciation as well when when you do it yourself you're just a soloist you don't yeah. always appreciate that role so mm-hmm. yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing to do it's something i've tried and I, I never feel like i one thing i find very difficult actually is the it's not the rhythmic side i feel like because i'm a i am an ex-drummer mm. so the drumming thing the, the rhythmic side of it's always been okay i've always found it really tough to convincingly um outline the changes not that you know i will be outlining them but it's i'm always just i always go when i'll start comping with some chords and then i'll quite quickly go now you know what i'm gonna just do the chop and i'm, I'm not even gonna play any chords i'm just gonna go because i find it i find it very tough i think it's like maybe it's a technical thing because it is technically quite hard to have that that rhythm and have like nice sounding chords at the same time right yeah yeah you have to really discover which voicings sound good when to just play roots and thirds to for support when to experiment with thirds and sevens and you yeah you learn you learn you learn a lot through experimentation at the end of the day you you're you're saying would i become would i feel good soloing behind this so i record myself a lot and try to solo on top of it mm. so is this supporting me harmonically and rhythmically and if the answer is no yeah. obviously you got to figure out why and and do yeah, it yeah yeah um, and then it also depends on the the setting right if you do have a bass player that expands the range and so that can change the kind of 
um, voicings you might do and the kind of patterns you can do because you have now another solid foundation. But as a duo, yeah, yeah you're, you're on the line to really lay it down. And I think yeah. the first thing to do, and if you don't. To do is to, to not have this attitude of, well, I'll never be as good as a guitar. Or like we, people always say that what they're not when they're comping as a violinist. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm not this, I'm not that. I don't, I don't have the range of this. I don't have the range of this. It's like, okay, obviously we all know that. So be the best version of what's possible. And so that was the yeah. first, first thing I had to do because I'd say in a trio, oh, it's so full and the guitar backs me up and now it drops out. Instead of hmm. that attitude, you say, all right, well, what is possible to, to make it actually a nice texture change and mm-hmm. feel good yeah. to solo over? Um, and, you know, the, 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 the jazz violin revolution, like there's, there's definitely been a lot of um, comping styles that have come after that, right? So that they didn't do a ton of like groundbreaking comping stuff. I mean, they did some, like there's some really, really cool stuff, but there's some that's more sparse and, but it, but it also just works as well. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, yeah. Your ears sort of, when there is a duo, if everybody, you know, if the band is, if those guys are so, sorry, guys, if the winner is a duo and when those people are so, uh, you know, such great musicians, um, it's sort of your ear. It just takes a second for your ear to go. Okay, it's just this is the band. You know, you you're not you're not missing anything, right? As, as long as the, ba- the those musicians are amazing, you're not missing the fact that there's not a bassist or a guitarist. Your ear just hones in on it. It's a bit like when you when we play acoustic. If you ever do that, um, you know, the, at, at the right sort of concert, often the first moment people are like, "Hey, I can't really hear them." And then they and then their ears quieten, and they go, "No, this is this is amazing. Now I can really hear them." And it, suddenly it's loud, you know. And I think that that can happen just with that sort of small setting. The moment you you just need a couple of seconds, to, and you're like, "Okay, this is what's happening. Like this is just these two. Yeah, and I, think, <laughs> I think it's important to remember that almost any instrument should be able to present a solo concert that's convincing. Um doesn't mean you're gonna you're going to be put in that position where you have to do like you know all of a sudden they were expecting a band and now it's so it's just that i if you have that mindset like can i present a convincing solo show um that i should be able to right and and so that's that's something that's really important and that i've think, thought about a lot and i've been writing a lot of solo music but not not just for that but just to, to be able to feel like I don't need to have a band to sound great. They will definitely, it, like there's so many situations where that will like amplify everybody. Of course, I love playing with a band. I, I mostly do that. But I did change that mindset, especially through the pandemic and said, can I do a convincing solo show? Because before that, I'd never done a complete solo show. I'd never even fathom that i'm always always like arranging for a band thinking about me as a soloist with the band and i, th- I thought I, I i kind of shifted that and tried to i i don't really I, I haven't even yet done a full solo show but i really want to and i 
it's it's even just a conceptual exercise to say do i feel like i could do that um and what would that take how would i create all the textures on the instrument and you discover a lot about um your own playing that way and and really it comes down to um, certain things like if you, if you listen to in classical world what 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 can people do not every solo violin thing is virtuosic paganini right they might be just like one note that just grabs you it with a nice sound and just like really emotional and present and that's just as important it's like oh can you just be within yourself and create like a whole world of all these instruments and it's just like a huge be like your own little symphony so it's something i've been i've been thinking about and i think comping and all those things kind of go into that world if it's going to be a, a solo show because i know you you think like wait comping is to accompany someone else but you can add all different textures if you do comping or comp and play do something quarterly and then riff like this there, there's some things I've been, I've been exploring of trying to uh do more soloistic stuff completely solo yeah hmm. just some other some other things cool. to think about yeah yeah well i'd love to see i'd love to see a concert a solo concert just come to london we'll get you a solo concert I mean, if I go to London, I'm, I want to play with. You want to yeah, play, play, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I'm, I, I have been writing these solo violin pieces, and at some point, want to present them. But it would be really interesting yeah. to do a solo jazz concert, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. I think it would take a lot. Like you said, it's a lot of preparation. Right, so yeah, a lot of preparation and experimentation seeing what's possible and people have done it with loop pedals but i mean like just organically i think that would be a really interesting challenge yeah and i i like those kind of challenges and especially when you're practicing and you record yourself you're by yourself um it's it's, it's interesting to to do that whether you're just can i play yeah. a simple melody that draws people in and yeah. then from there yeah. then there's all sorts of different things to explore yeah, I think I did something similar in the lockdown. There's a couple of tunes that I just sat and was like, I'm just going to put some nice solo arrangements together. In fact, for a while during, I can't remember, I moved the second UK lockdown. Actually, I did a, I sort of just did a new a video every day online where I just soloed over. I mean, it wasn't, probably wasn't the most compelling thing, but I just was like, I'm, I want to do something every day. So I put up a thing with me playing over a standard every day, you know, tried to do it in one take. Um, and that was re that was really that was really interesting because it made me go like you, you listen back and you're like I sped up there like I you know or or I or I slowed down or whatever or I just wasn't quite convincing enough to make it on my on my own there I play some you know sometimes you play talking I can't remember who I was speaking to about this I think they were a bluegrass player um, you might you probably know him he did it anyway we'll talk about I work work it out later but. I remember him saying that like musicians, especially like fiddlers often have, don't have that, that there's, there's like two types of groove or there's different types of having groove, right? Like there's being able to groove really hard when there's other people there is one thing like, or, and being able to sit on top of something really well. Like some people that is, that is a, that is a thing that's to, unto itself. It's, it's difficult and it's also a great skill to have, but then also that creating of the groove as we, 
as fiddlers of violence, we don't often have that. And the, those are two things that are both important. Um, and that was a quite, it's just an interesting point. It's not just like, do you have groove or not? Mm. It's like, no, sometimes you, you, you do, you can like context, really fit in yeah. or you can sit on top in context. I'm, I would consider myself that person. I'm, I, you know, when I, when I'm playing well with groove, it's generally with somebody else. I've never been someone on the violin that could create that groove myself. So I think I was trying to do that when I was doing those things yeah. every day. And, it, and I think it, it definitely helped my playing a lot. Oh, absolutely. You know? And those are also things like that when I'm talking about like a solo show, those are other things like actually a convincing groove as a solo violinist is, is definitely a, a challenge. And it's something I've forever been working on. And mm. I, I, I always you know, would say, hey, I should be able to have the band drop out the band and the audience can is knows where I am in the changes. Well, I mean, knowing where I'm at in the changes for an audience member, it's more like they can follow, um, and the the and the rhythm, right? So convincing of the harmony and the rhythm, even if the band dropped out for multiple times, and I, I'm I used to be more like what you're talking about, where it's like as soon as that band's there, I can ride that wave, but over the past number of years i've really tried to you know be honest with myself and like really say okay it's got to come from within to study a lot of other solo pieces and artists that i feel like do it whether it's you know a, a cadenza from a great saxophone player like just an intro like that's a solo piece and especially if they're doing it with with a pocket and what are, what are they focusing on or listening to bassists, right? Bassists do it all the time. <laughs> like, any, if, you, yeah. if, you, if there's a yeah, bassist who can just lay it down and the, the pocket's always there, they're doing something right. So I studied a lot of bassists yeah. for that regard. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's something to be said for, you know, with this, this sort of thing, I, from just from my own experience when working on this, I realized that, like, we fill in a lot as the player we fill in we we you can fill things in in your head right so say you're you're working on playing solo and you 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 know you you say you improvise just like some single line stuff over 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 a blues or whatever your ear as the as the musician who's created that might be filling in some gaps or might be creating a groove that doesn't exist. Your ear might be doing that. You might not be playing with that groove that you are hearing in your head. You might be sitting on top of some groove that you hear in in your head, mm -hmm. and then you, you know, and then you listen back to it, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm really cooking," because you can like hear a band in your head, right? And this is, I'm not saying it's what everyone does, but it's definitely something that I've, that's happened to me. Something similar to that, anyway. Then you go back and you come and listen, come listen to it the next day, and you're like, "I don't even know where the one is." Like, and I don't even know what the, what key this is in. Like, I don't know where the, where the root is. Is it, you know, what is this? Is oh, this, yeah, a, you, is this a rhythm change? Is it, do you know what I mean? Yourself and there's definitely those times where you feel like you're in the moment. It's like, this is happening. And then you listen, you're like, yeah. I was rushing so much. So yeah, yeah. always record yourself. Always um, keep, be honest and give yourself 
good feedback and we're, we're our best teachers because we spend the most time yeah. with ourselves, you know, learning. Yeah. I got uh, a couple minutes yeah, before I have to, uh, to, to jam. Yeah, I've got to do it yeah, as well. Yeah. So excellent, dude. Thanks so right. much for, for oh, chatting to me. It's Always great fun. I hope to like, get, yeah. get back to, uh, to UK as well. Yeah. If you're thinking of, of making the trip, let me know. I can help you get some gigs and stuff like that. It's definitely, it's definitely in the cards. I was looking at flights. like, oh, it's not too bad. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, nice. We'll do it, dude. Yeah, anytime. All right, and look forward to hearing um, your your new record when it comes out. Oh yeah, I'll send it over. Zoo. Nice one. Like you that. too. All right, Matt. Sweet dude. Be well. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to that, guys. I really enjoyed chatting to Jason again. He is just one of those people that I really enjoyed chatting to when I first interviewed him and i just wanted to know what else is going on with him and just get the chance to chat to him again so yeah there we go jason anik um if you let me show have i got anything to say have i got anything to say i this month uh this month it's march this month it's march on the 12th of march i've got a gig at pizza express jazz club in london soho um, with the amazing singer Eva Scholten. Some of you might know her. She's just really excellent, excellent musician, excellent singer who um, who's just actually really into the jazz manouche, the gypsy jazz stuff. And um, she isn't that isn't, isn't that normal. Singers aren't generally uh, that into it, but she's really into it and she's amazing. So she's coming to join my band, the London Django Collective. Yeah, and we're playing at the uh, Pizza Express Jazz Club in Soho. That's the 12th of March. Uh, other than that, hey, I've got a new single out. People who follow me might have seen that I uh, have this new band, this new project that I put together called Learn to Draw. And I've uh, brought out a new single uh, under that exact same name, self-titled single called Learn to Draw. Um, it's a just a sort of mix of I think some of the things the musical things that go on in my head that aren't necessarily just based around jazz and swing and all that stuff it's sort of my attempt at just trying to be really free and open with my writing so yeah I really I'm really really proud of it really really proud of it and if you do want to check it out please do you can find it on go to spotify if you use spotify which i think quite a lot of you do because uh from my analytics it seems like a lot of you guys do listen to this uh, podcast on spotify so anyway um yeah please check it out there'll be a link in this in the description of this podcast uh, for anyone who is interested uh, other than that you know what that's it thanks so much for listening guys oh yeah the Patreon thing you know do the Patreon thing if you really like this uh, podcast please support me on Patreon I don't mind how much you give me uh, and I don't I also don't expect everyone to uh, to give to it you know not everyone can not everyone should but if you really really if the podcast is a big part of your life and uh, you're always really excited when it comes out and you're like oh, I hope Matt's put up a, putting up a new episode soon or whatever maybe you could give me a quid you know maybe just a quid anyway i'll stop begging and uh yeah see you very soon thanks bye
Yeah.